Welcome to the Healthy Hair Podcast. Your host, Dr. Amy Brenner, is a board-certified OBGYN with additional certifications in functional and integrative medicine. This podcast is meant to help women find reliable, relevant information to help them feel better, look better, and live better. Here you will hear in-depth information about hormones, sexual medicine, aesthetics, cosmetic gynecology, and functional medicine. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Healthy Her. And I think everybody can probably relate to the topic that, or I should say most everybody can relate to the topic that we're going to talk about. Uh, We're going to talk about stress eating and stress eating when you're trying to lose weight. And I bet most people can relate to this. So if you've ever been under stress and started craving all those feel-good things that taste good and make you feel good in the moment, you're going to want to stay tuned and listen to the the rest of this episode. Because stress eating is a pretty common experience and can really be sometimes worse in women because of our hormone fluctuations and our do-it-all kind of mentalities. So Today we have Dr. Megan Mello, and we're going to talk about trying to change our mindset and trying to change our eating habits. So thanks for joining us, Dr. Mello. So everybody usually has a story of how did this become your interest and how did you go from medical school and residency to having a focus on stress eating? Yeah, thank you. So I think that stress eating um, has been a way of life uh, for me and my family. So it's it's kind of how I grew up and something that I always wanted to be able to help people with, um, you know, as I've kind of battled it off and on. And I went into my training in family medicine and you know, I sought people out who were really struggling with weight and weight related conditions and wanted to really be an effective, you know, person in their journey to help losing weight and getting, you know, again, those weight related chronic conditions under control like diabetes and, um, you know, arthritis pain and, and things of that nature. And I found that my my basic medical training and my family medicine training you know, we were taught, you know, some basic principles of weight management, and we were taught all the harms that, you know, obesity could potentially, uh, you know, bring to a person's health. But we were given very little practical advice on how do you actually help people move the needle. And so after being in family medicine for 10 years, I then went on to get obesity medicine sort of board certified and I uh, completed that at the beginning of 2021. Oh, congratulations. And, yeah, thank you. Uh, it's that's my a, little, that's a big my little pandemic side project. Yeah, it's a lot of work to go back and get an additional board certification. So yeah. for you. Well, you know, physicians are really good at taking tests. <laughs> Um, but you know, even with the obesity medicine certification, I found that I was still missing some of those really practical tools. You know, it's one thing to have knowledge about how our bodies work and our hormones and our physiology. It's quite another to 
really be able to help people manage their behaviors. And so much of the work when we're trying to manage our weight is managing those behaviors, which includes you know, being in touch with our emotions and being aware of, you know, the actions we're taking. And that's really where my coaching training came in. And that's where I am today is really using both my medical knowledge of obesity and obesity related health conditions, as well as the coaching behavioral thought feeling tools. Yeah. Um, I'd love to touch on one of the things you mentioned is I'm sure OBGYN residency is very similar is I don't really remember any much training in maybe one lecture about nutrition in medical school or, I mean, I think when prior to starting this practice at my old practice, when I was doing traditional OBGYN is when people talk to me about weight, I mean, my solution was, well, you need to eat less and exercise more. Right. Calories in, calories out. Yeah. And that was all I had to say is, yeah. and don't eat fast food. And, mm-hmm. and and that was about the only advice I was able to give people, which I look back, I'm like, that was pretty lame. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think in part, some of that speaks to the experience of who, who was sort of creating that educational experience. Um, And, you know, I'll say, you know, kind of in my training environment, you know, it was a lot of older white men who had never struggled with their weight and, you know, them sort of passing down this idea of, well, you just need to eat less and move more. And it's just not so simple as that for so many reasons as, you know, as many women experience. And I'd really love to see that that attitude change because we we do know from obesity medicine studies that that simple sort of calorie restriction model isn't actually a sustainable pattern for most people. There's there's some truth to the idea that we need to pay attention to how we're eating, how much, maybe you know maybe what time of day that we're eating, uh, but it's just not as simple as just cut down calories. Right. And I, I definitely have patients that, you know, they can do good or quote air quotes, good mm-hmm. of eating the right things. And then maybe get an email late at night, have an argument with a family member, just laying in bed. And then they're just like, you know, screw it. I'm going to yeah. see what's in the pantry. And then you just undo days worth of quote being good. And absolutely. Quote, Absolutely. Um, And, you know, that's a very common pattern that we can, quote unquote, do the right thing uh, through much of the day. And then we reach the end of the day and, you know, those stressful things could happen or we could just feel exhausted from the day. And, you know, if you've got little children and putting them to bed and, you know, kind of all those things. And, you know, for so many women who you know, are working a job and caregiving for the people in their lives, whether again, that's, you know, children or, uh, you know, their spouse or partner or pets or, uh, you know, their parents or things like that. We, we give and give, and we tend not to be taking any moments for ourselves to enjoy, to connect, to listen to our own needs. And so we get to the end of the day feeling pretty neglected and, 
that also makes it easier to turn to food and say, well, I was so good all day. I didn't have anything good happen to me today. I did all this work for all these other people. I deserve a treat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, suddenly we're knee deep in the cookies or whatever we have in the cabinet, you know, with this real lack of awareness of how did we get here? What's the science? Is there any science behind that of like what's going on hormonally or chemically that all those bad things just make you feel better in the moment? Well, there's a a wonderful concept that I'll share with you and your listeners of, you know, dopamine is this this reward hormone that's in our brains, right? And so we do something that brings us pleasure, you know, our our brain gets a hit of dopamine and, you know, we feel good and we want more of that thing. And, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, if we found, you know, a bush full of ripe berries, you know, they're sweet, they give us a hit of dopamine, we would feel good about that, we would we would, you know, go ahead and pick all the berries and eat them while they're fresh and delicious and, you know, maybe maybe dry some out for, for later in the year. And that would be a natural way to stimulate us to do this activity, which benefits our survival. And today, we have many different of these very concentrated forms of food and other other addictive substances. So, you know, we've got refined sugar, we've got refined flour, um, you know, you can take caffeine pills and, you know, these other sorts of highly rewarding substances and we get a huge hit of dopamine from that. Mm-hmm. And that dopamine reinforces the behavior that, hey, cookies will make me feel good. Ice cream will make me feel good. and. So, you know, especially when we're in that kind of diet mentality and we're working so hard taking care of all the other people and doing our jobs and things and we're not, we're not taking moments of enjoyment or pleasure outside of food. And then we, we turn to these really strong dopamine triggers uh, and, and we, we don't have anything else to rely on. It's like, we're not getting our dopamine from anywhere else because we're so used to turning to sugar and flour and those substances. And so when we're dieting, we're restricting, we've just cut out pleasure from our life yeah. because we're so conditioned to taking it from, you know, flour and sugar. Um, it, it's no wonder that dieting, that restriction is so, hard, right? We can do it for a little while, but then all of a sudden we're like, my life is joyless right now because I've just taken away, (laughs) you know, that one, that one little piece of enjoyment I used to have, which is, you know, the, the chocolate at the end of the night. Are there any healthy ways to increase your dopamine level when you are, are having those kinds of, I need chocolate to make me feel better right now? Yeah, I think, you know, what it takes is doing a little pre-planning. So for example, you know, coming up with a list of things that that really you enjoy and you comfort, and you might include, you know, some foods that you can, you can enjoy in small quantities on that list, but also non-food sources of pleasure. So, you know, taking a bath, taking a walk outside, you know, in beautiful weather, calling a friend, Um, you know, cuddling with someone or a pet, 
those things are natural sources of dopamine release for us. But so often we're, we're either too busy and we feel like we don't have time for those things. Um, and we certainly don't, don't do them intentionally. So we're getting too few of those natural sort of releases of dopamine. And, and then we feel really dependent on those strong surges that we get from sugar. Yeah, so, so your suggestion is make a list of the, the things you like to do that make mm -hmm. you feel good that are non-food. What are some of the foods that would be better choices if you're like, but, but I'm hungry. Right. Right. And <laughs> that's you great, know, course, but I'm hungry. Where I'm hungry, you know, fruit is a natural source of dopamine, you know, a, a natural source of sugar and can give you that dopamine release. And it has the benefit of having, you know, a lot of water and some fiber with it. So it can contribute to fullness and, you know, better than fruit alone is fruit in combination with some fat or some protein, which helps to slow digestion. So if you were at the end of the day and you really truly feel in your stomach that you're hungry and you're craving something, you know, we're, we're kind of hitting strawberry season where I am. So, you know, a nice bowl of ripe strawberries, maybe with a little bit of, uh, you know, of whipped cream on top, you know, for that fat component. Um, when we think about, you know, kind of our weight, a dessert like that, something that's going to give us some, you know, water and fiber in addition to some fat is going to be a much better choice than, you know, cookies or ice cream or something like that. That's, you know, again, that sort of concentrated flour and sugar. Yeah, that's a great treat. I, uh, there's this olive oil, this called the spicy olive. It's a really cute little olive oil and vinegar place. And they have this chocolate flavored vinegar which sounds disgusting oh. or i think it's espresso flavored vinegar oh. and it sounds disgusting but putting it over some berries mm. is like it's a really good little after dinner yeah. treat of okay i really want the dessert that my kids uh -huh. are having but i'm gonna have this berry with this espresso vinegar and it just it's just enough you're like okay i'm gonna try this first and then if i want this that then I'll maybe have a, a bite yeah. of the last night my husband made Italian and got tiramisu. I'm like, I'm gonna mm -hmm. have the berries with the espresso and then I'll see if I want a bite of the tiramisu. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, making allowances that, you know, there are some times when you know there's going to be something truly special, you know, that you really enjoy, that you really look forward to, but it's not in, it's not in your house or not in your world every day, making a plan in advance to have that thing. So if you knew the tiramisu was coming and you, that's like your favorite dessert, have it and enjoy it that one day, but don't stretch it out and don't make it an everyday thing. And don't take all of your joy and pleasure only from food. Yeah. Yeah. When does it become, because obviously in medicine, we like to assign diagnoses to mm -hmm. things is, when does it become like, okay, I stress eat and I get stressed and I just want to eat bad versus something like binge eating disorder where you just really go crazy and possibly need medications for that? Yeah, um, I don't have the, the criteria right in front of me, but a component of binge, you know, binge eating disorder is um, eating, eating to the point of you know, some kind of harm. And so sometimes that involves 
purging, you know, throwing up your food. Um, sometimes it involves uh, exercise purging where you kind of eat yourself sick and then, you know, in response to that, you're going to do aggressive exercise to sort of burn off those calories. Um, you know, I don't think there is a strict sort of medical cutoff of when does this become, you know, truly a disease versus, uh, versus, you know, kind of a bad habit and a pattern that we've sustained. So it may take consulting with a medical professional to be able to determine that in, you know, a particular person. Uh, and I think, you know, it's also the lived experience of many people that we can have disordered eating without a diagnosable eating disorder as kind of defined by the rigid criteria, um, you know, which are, which are also imperfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you say to somebody when they're like, okay, I'm in the, just forget it. I want to eat. What do you say to somebody of what they should be saying to themselves in that moment before they kind of, throw it all out the window. Yeah. I really like to highlight for people kind of the experience of urge as an emotion. So often in those moments, you know, we feel a strong urge to eat something, usually like a particular thing, like an urge to eat chocolate or an urge to eat chips or something. And because urge is such a strong human emotion, we often feel really compelled towards it, like, like it's life-threatening not to respond. And many of us try to pretend that we are not feeling an urge. You know, we, we try and, and resist it as much as possible, and that tends to make urge feel stronger. And that's very different from feeling an urge, being aware of it and noticing like, what do you actually feel in your body? You know, do you, do you feel stomach hunger? Uh, you know, is your mouth watering thinking about that food? Like what are those physical sensations that are in your body so that you, you have a lot of awareness of what that experience is like? And can you sit with those feelings and acknowledge to yourself, yep, I'm feeling an urge. I really feel a strong urge to eat, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to sit with this feeling for five minutes. I'm not going to try and fight it. I'm not going to say that it's not there. I'm just going to allow it to be here for the next five minutes and, you know, set a timer. And a lot of times what happens is, you know, we can sort of be in a lot more awareness of what the physical sensations are and the thoughts going through our mind but the intensity of it fades and it, it can fade as fast as you know, 30 seconds or 90 seconds or a few minutes. And often when we've allowed that urge to be there for five minutes, it's not still there when that timer goes off. And, you know, that's not 100% of the time, but starting to give yourself some space when you frequently cope with urges like that really allows you to understand that urge feels very important, but you totally survive even when you just allow the urge to be there, when you acknowledge it, say, yep, I'm having a strong urge to eat that thing. And you just let it be. Because, you know, again, when we're fighting with that feeling and pretending it's not there, it just, it comes back stronger. 
At but allowing the emotion. People need to, because I think most people can relate to this. Like, yeah, I eat when I'm stressed or mm -hmm. it, it, I just do it. I know I do it. I need to stop doing it. Mm -hmm. Because on the flip side, everybody has stress. Like, mm -hmm. You're not saying like eliminate your stress. Um, <laughs> like, Boy, yeah, that would be a good business model. Though. I know, right? Like you, you have the solution to eliminate stress. But at what point does somebody need to seek out professional help like somebody like yourself and and on that note like what do you do in your practice to help people that this is a main component of why they're you know overweight have diabetes um mm -hmm. all the things that go with you know poor food choices yeah so you know that's really where working through you know, the mindset is so helpful because, you know, of course I could hand somebody a list of actions like eat this, don't eat that, you know, start eating at this time of day and stop eating at that time of day. But we're missing the mark there in terms of those emotional sort of realities that cause us to go off the plan that cause us to have those urges to eat. And so for a lot of people, it's reconnecting, you know, kind of with understanding their emotions understanding the thoughts that drive the emotions and getting really clear on those things. And once we understand our feelings better and we can start to play around with how do I, how do I change the way I think about myself, my eating, my relationship with food, my body, uh, trying to lose weight, then we can really start to get much more clear on, you know, how we're going to be able to, to move forward for an individual person. So, you know, understanding very clearly the emotions, for example, that might cause you, cause you to eat and having a strategy of like, okay, you know, I tend to eat when I'm feeling very stressed or very anxious. What is another way that I can cope with that stress and anxiety, like actual things I could do, such as going for a walk, such as calling, you know, a friend or my mom having that list available so that it's an easy choice, right? Because food is often an easy choice, right? We're surrounded by food, we have to eat food. But if I have other easy choices that are more in alignment with what my goals are, then I'm creating an opportunity for myself to have a different experience and a more successful way to lose weight. Yeah, do you think it helps? I think it helps of really working with a a, a specialist or a provider to help you go through this because I hear all the time from patients, I know what to do. I just mm -hmm. can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a variety, you know, I think sometimes that can be, um, you know, a medical professional. I think sometimes it can be, you know, a coach who's specially trained to really sort of deal with that emotional component, or there are some wonderful therapists out there, you know, who do a lot of work with people around food and eating and relationship with food. Um, so, you know, it kind of depends on the exact factors for a person, but I do think that working, you know, with someone either one-on-one -on -one or in a group tends to be more successful than when we go it alone. And, you know, certainly there are a lot of apps right now and some of them have communities and, and things that are helpful, but there's something, there's something very powerful of, you know, having somebody or some buddies else to work on that accountability piece 
and then to start to gain skills of self-accountability and letting go of the, the kind of perfectionist thinking that we tend to get into when we're, you know, we're in that, that place of, well, you know, Monday morning, I'm going to get started. I'm going to do all the things just perfectly. And I'm going to exercise for an hour every day. And, you know, by Tuesday afternoon, if we've made it that far, we're, we're off. <laughs> we're just like, I'm done. I failed. I'll I wait know. until next week. <laughs> I know, right? Or next like, month. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard patients say, well, I know what to do. I just need to start. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's interesting why eating became, you know, started off of just, you know, keeping you alive. And now there mm-hmm. are just so many components of why you eat and how you eat and your relationship with food that it's it's just not that simple anymore. It's not. And, you know, the availability of food, the marketing, um, you know, diet culture, and, you know, there's so, there's so much that feeds into what makes it more difficult. Um, you know, even, you know, when I was growing up, there wasn't a Starbucks at every single store that you went to, you know, people weren't eating and drinking all day. And now that's the norm for so many, right? And so you eat your breakfast, you go to the grocery store or, you know, shopping and you get, you know, a sugary drink probably, and then you eat lunch and, you know, then it's time for a snack. There's just food all day. And so when we're trying to lose weight and we're getting cues that, you know, socially we should be eating all day, it, it feels really difficult to start saying, okay, well, I'm not going to eat, right? We feel very alone in that, in that often. And so, you know, that's really where, you know, kind of mindset and really, really focusing on thoughts and feelings makes a huge difference so that you can anticipate those challenges and you can run them through and decide how you're going to respond in advance. And then it's not a constant decision all through your day. Do I eat that? Do I not eat that? Oh, that looks good. Maybe I should have that. No, I shouldn't. I'm on a diet. No, I'll be good. You know, and then by the end of the day, we've got that decision fatigue and we're just like, screw it. Yeah. No wonder why you're tired having these conversations with yourself like all All day long. Like, and I think everybody does that. Like, yeah, no, I shouldn't do it. Maybe just one, maybe just a little bit. So where can people find you, Dr. Mello? Yeah, so the easiest way to find me is through my website, which is www.healthierforgood.com. And you'll find information about um, my coaching as well as I've got a weight loss course that's available for people uh, to purchase. Well, thanks so much. I think this was super helpful. I love the idea of the pre-planning of uh, writing down, these are the things I'm going to do. These are the food choices I'm going to do. I just think that alone was just golden. So thanks for the advice. Thanks for chatting with us today too. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Her. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and the web. Go to www.dramybrenner.com to learn more. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute as medical advice, the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare services. No patient-physician relationship is formed. 
The information in the podcast and any references, material or links are at the sole discretion of the listener and not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Listeners should not delay or disregard obtaining medical advice for any medical issues or diagnoses that they may have and should seek medical advice from their healthcare provider for any such conditions.